Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome to the first episode of 2024. I hope your holiday season was chock full of chills. To be honest, it's kind of nice to settle back into the peace and solitude in the wake of the holiday chaos. We've got a couple of things brewing this year, but the first, that shadow that's looming just over the horizon, well... That's the imminent approach of our newest flash fiction contest. Just a little glimpse to wet your whistle, but I'll have more details about that headed your way in the coming weeks, to help get those creative juices flowing. For tonight, though, we've got some vital fluids of our own to spill, so let's get to it. Our first story for the evening comes from Catherine Trailer. Catherine Trailer is a U.S.-born writer of fantasy and horror, currently based in Prague. 
Her writing, which is often fairy tale inspired, has been published in a number of anthologies. She shares a home with her beautiful partner and three four footed children. Follow her on Twitter at Among the Goblins or on her website, CatherineTrailer.com. Children of the Night, join me for Catherine Trailer's Come Away Sweetly, a Tales to Terrify original. For sixty years the thing had lain in a hollow on a lonely slope of woods deep in Gonerville Forest. Beneath the slow rotting of the log, among the grubs and beetles, he dreamed and remembered in equal measure. His body twisted, sinews bunching and tangling like knotted vines. Snow had brought him here. Snow had kept him. Being a winter thing, he mostly slept in warmer seasons though he never turned down an unlucky straggler. But in winter he waited, wakeful, hoping for lost things to pass his burrow, misfortune making them his prey. In his earliest unlife, winters had been colder. Snow had covered the forest for months on end, and humans hadn't gone walking there. He'd sucked on snow, dug up grubs, spent days coaxing birds and rabbits close enough to catch. Often he'd starved where he lay, too human to give up living, and not vital enough to die. But as winters warmed and the earth grew strange, the ground was often bare of snow. Life no longer paused for the season. Even in the darkest months, wanderers sometimes passed close by his lair. Hunters, wanderers, bird watchers, suicides. He lured them all and fed. He'd been a sweet man once. Now his voice was all that was left of his sweetness, his only advantage besides surprise. His mind was gone, rotted mostly to flinders. But a scrap of old song lingered in the back of his head, a melody and a few words that seemed important. They fit his voice graciously, carrying well away into the woods to lure in curious walkers. And once he got them there, He had them. But it had been weeks since his last meal, a hunter. He grew impatient waiting for the next unfortunate to pass his hiding place. Should he go out looking for food? The ground was bare now. He could travel quickly. Not by day, never by day. But maybe at night? But he feared being caught unsheltered by the sun. He couldn't withstand such light. So it was with delighted relief that he heard two sets of footsteps approaching, a woman and a dog. Molly Bircher had just been abandoned by her dog. 
She watched Jet's dark hindquarters whipping off through the denuded branches, heard the lab's excited barking echo down the trail. Molly's joints were too stiff with cold to run after her, but she knew Jet would circle back eventually, when she'd put the fear of dog into whatever she was chasing. Molly took her time, observing the scenery. She'd hardly ever been up this way since her parents died. She and Bill had always taken their walks by the lake. No real reason except that the hills were steep, and this trail had associations for her that sixty years hadn't managed to shake. The hush of the woods, the cries of the birds, the twist of a winter bare branch, all reminded her of her first forbidden courtship. Not with Bill, whom everyone had loved. She'd walked these woods with her beautiful lost vagabond, John Perrow. He lived in different places in town depending on the year and his finances. Of course, in those days she couldn't meet him at his home. They'd meet at the outskirts of town and slip like spies into the woods. Then they'd wander the wooded trails arm in arm, ducking into the trees if they heard someone coming. Though John had finally won her family over enough to court her openly, these secret woods were haunted by his memory. It was strange, she thought, climbing over a network of roots. You'd think after sixty years the memories would have faded. She should be thinking of Bill, her life's companion, gone only a year. But more and more often, her thoughts went back to when she thought John would be her whole future. Maybe as she drew nearer to the end of her life, her mind was seeking back towards the beginning. Staring up the trail towards her childhood home, now locked up and barely used, Molly felt her mood sink. The sky over the trees was dull and wan. Darkness would come soon. Maybe it would be best to sleep at the old house tonight. Her daughter would hate it. She didn't like Molly going off alone. But Molly needed time to comb through these resurfaced memories. She walked slowly, observing how the woods had changed. The snow should be knee-deep here, the air cold enough to kill you if you let it. But Molly had only her coat for warmth. Even her gloves had seemed unnecessary. Birds still flitted through the trees, foraging, though there wasn't much to forage for. But soon the trees would fruit in December, and winter would go away forever. Almost nice to know she'd be dead before that happened. Of course, it was winter that had killed John. Molly's steps slowed as she fell into remembered melancholy. He'd been coming to see her when he died on a stormy winter night after his factory shift. In deference to her father, he'd finally gotten a job. As the storm had worsened, his friends at the boarding house had told him not to risk it, but John, never afraid of risks, had bundled on his wraps and hurried out into the night. He'd never been seen again. She still ached sometimes with the loss. She'd lived a happy life with Bill, and missed him daily. But their love had been gentle and warm, more comfort than passion. John's love had been... consuming. They'd burned so hot for each other she'd sometimes thought they would devour each other, burrow under each other's skin. She'd never forgotten him, even decades into a happy marriage. She still remembered the taste of his mouth, how his arms had fit around her, and the song. He'd always sung the same song to her, an old folk song with a sweetly eerie melody. Remembering it, she began to sing. Come away sweetly, 
Come away now Into the forest and into the glen Then suddenly she heard a different voice singing. She stopped to listen, frowning. The sweet tenor voice floated through the barren trees, carrying the melody over the drifts of leaves. Come away sweetly Come away now. It couldn't be the same tune. She'd searched for the song after John's death, looking for a piece of him she could keep after he'd vanished so suddenly. But she'd never found Come Away Sweetly in any book of folk songs she'd tried. She'd decided John must have made it up, or learned it from someone who'd made it up. But as she stepped from the path, barely breathing, She heard the long pause at the top of the melody before the last line of the chorus, the moment when John had always stolen a kiss. The voice resumed, finishing the chorus. The next verse began, soft and rhythmic. It was definitely the same song. She walked on, abandoning the trail. She wasn't worried about finding her way back. These woods had been her universe growing up, before tragedy had tainted them and the branches didn't conceal much. But as she crested a hill and started down the other side, she felt a twinge of concern. As well as she knew the woods, the illusion of brown on brown on brown, leaves and slopes and branches, made it difficult to pick out the landscape. But she had her phone with her. Worse came to worse, she could call for help. They'd find her in a few hours. She kept walking. The voice sang on, sweet and pure and familiar. The farther she walked, the more she realized the singer sounded exactly like John. There was no clear path, but her feet were sure as she climbed up the next muddy slope and down the next dell. The woods were almost silent. She heard only the shuffle of her footsteps through the leaves, her own unsteady breathing, and that ribbon of song winding on and on. Come away, darling, come away, love, into the willows and into the grove. With every step, the voice grew louder. With every step, she grew more certain it was John's. At last, she reached a clearing where a large log lay across a little hollow. As she stepped into the clearing, the singing stopped. In the silence that followed, she realized just how far she'd wandered. She had no idea where she was now. She couldn't even hear Jed anymore. There was only her own breathing and the distant twitter of the birds. Disappointment choked her. Had she imagined the song? Hello? She called shakily. Is someone here? There was a silence for a long moment. Then, very quietly, someone answered. Hello. It was his voice. Even after so long, she was sure. John? She whispered. There was nowhere to hide in the clearing. The trees were too narrow to conceal anyone. The only possible shelter was the log. Could someone be hiding underneath it? How deep did the hollow go? It occurred to her that someone might be playing a prank. Maybe there was a hidden speaker under the log or behind one of the trees, but why would anyone play a joke like that on an old lady? 
And how would they know whose voice to imitate? Everyone who'd known John Perrow was dead and gone. Curious and a little indignant, she moved closer to the log. As she did, she heard a soft rushing sound, like something large sniffing the air. Molly froze, startled. Hello? She repeated more cautiously. Is someone there? There was a long pause. Then the voice whispered, Molly? It came from under the log. Cautiously, she crouched and looked closer. In the hollow under the log, two eyes glinted in the darkness. She felt a lurch in her stomach, as if the world had shifted around her. She edged backwards. Hello? John? Is that... I know that can't be you. Who is that under there? Was she dreaming? She dreamed a thousand times about finding John somewhere in the woods. Sometimes he was dead, sometimes alive, sometimes sleeping, once growing from a tree like a dryad. She'd walked the woods so many times looking for any sign of him that the idea of finding him must still be swimming in her subconscious. The eyes blinked. Is it you? Are you Molly? You're old, but the same. I know. I can see it. The voice sighed. Breath rustled on the damp leaves beside the log. But my Molly said she'd stay with me forever, never leave me. Here I've been all this time, and here you are. But you left me all those years. The words twisted like a chord in her heart. She began to cry. I looked for you for months. My brothers, too. Even my father looked. We didn't find a single thing, not one sign of you. Daddy thought you'd left town. She was sure now. This was John. Though it was impossible, incredible. It could be no one else. Where were you? Where have you been all this time? What happened? A soft groan floated from under the log. I was coming to see you. Remember I had always come to see you? No matter how tired, even if we'd fought. And that night I was walking. There was a hiss of drawn breath. But that storm, remember? Terrible. Couldn't see my way. Too much snow and cold. Couldn't walk straight. So I lost the path. He sighed. Kept walking, always the wrong way. Never found the trail. Couldn't find anything, only this log. He chuckled softly. And it was so cold. So I crawled in here. And here I've stayed. Alone, Molly. Always. Sleeping, usually. He chuckled again almost gleefully. Didn't think you'd come. You never came. But here you are. Will you hold my hand, Molly? She leaned closer, spellbound. This had to be a dream or a nightmare. But the voice was exactly his, and pinching herself hurt like heartbreak. John? Yes, he whispered. A hand slipped out from under the log, pale and soft-looking, as if it had lain in darkness for a long time. But its shape was familiar, 
Leaning closer, Molly saw the ring she'd given him. An aquamarine in pale, cheap gold, gleaming gently in the weak sunlight. John's hand. She still saw it in her dreams. Whatever had happened, wherever he'd really been, he was here now. Her vision blurred with tears as she took his hand. It was damper than it looked and cold, but the muscles and tendons felt strong. How are you alive? she whispered, stroking the pale skin wonderingly. You've been here this whole time? How are you alive? Wait, she pulled back, reaching for her phone. Don't move. I'll call for help. His fingers caught hers damply, a much stronger grip than you'd expect after sixty years in the woods. Wait, he said, tugging at her arm. Come in with me. Hold me again, just for a little while. Then we'll go. The pressure of his fingers on her skin woke something in her that had been sleeping since she'd heard his voice. I'm awake, she realized, danger rippling up her nerves. This isn't a dream, so what? She tried to pull back, but his grip tightened. He dragged her smoothly underneath the log, nestling her in the mud and leaves against his large, damp body. No, she screamed. Let me go! Her voice was swallowed by the ancient fabric of his shirt. For the first time, she became aware of a foul smell under the scent of leaf rot, a faint odor of decaying meat. John's arms were gently inescapable. When Molly struggled, he rolled over, pressing her against the back wall of the wet, muddy cave. Mud soaked through her jeans and into her hair. The fading light beyond the cave was blotted out by the dark shadow of his face. He hummed softly in the darkness. Come away sweetly, come away now, he sang softly. Into the forest and into the glen. Gone is the meadow and gone are the stars. And now we will never be lonely again. Her breath came harsh and fast. Please, she sobbed. Please let me go. Laughing softly, he pushed her deeper into the mud, holding her down. Strange new protrusions dug against her from unexpected places on his body. You've changed, Molly, he whispered against her throat. But I've changed, too. We'll be one flesh now, like we should have been before. You and me. You in me. We'll be good together, Molly. One flesh. Daddy never liked him, she thought disbelievingly. Please, John, no, don't. He cut off her voice with handfuls of wet leaves. Hush now, he said, as she choked and gagged. It'll be over soon. He pushed more leaves into her mouth until she stopped struggling. His cold lips brushed her forehead. Then, very gently, he began to feed. That was Catherine Trailer's 
Come Away Sweetly is read by Amy Pownessa. Amy Pownessa has been the producer and host of The Bloodlust, a horror movie review podcast, since 2014. She has narrated stories for various other podcasts, including Knife Point Horror and The Alexandria Archives. She's thrilled to read for Tales to Terrify, especially because she credits the podcast with reigniting her love of horror fiction. You can contact Amy through her website, thebloodlust.net. Thank you, Amy. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Vil Merilainen. Vil Merilainen is a Finnish author of fantasy and horror fiction. Listen with me, children of the night, to Vil Merilainen's A Doll Full of Nails, first published on Pseudopod, July 2014. Once upon a time, the doll began, there lived a god who feared the dark. He cast a shadow over his creations and heard them whisper his doom when he turned away. He feared them so much he stole fire from the other gods and gave it to the tiny creatures, hoping it would take away the dark in their hearts. 
Instead, they set the god on fire, and that is how the sun was born. Fascinating, grumbled the doll maker, setting a glass eye into the socket of his latest masterpiece. This one, he hoped, would be as mute as most, unlike the one sitting on his shelf. And patently untrue. Be quiet now, before you get another nail. The doll sat quiet for a time. It watched the doll maker work, or so it felt, until he was finished and set the new doll upright. This one had bright blue eyes, flaxen hair, and a skirt the miller's wife had made for their daughter's sixth birthday. On her seventh, she disappeared, never to be found, and in place of a gravestone they wanted a doll so lifelike it would be as though she had never left. The dollmaker watched his creation with welling sickness before sealing it in a box. This was good use of his skills, for he had long studied the art of imitating life. If it gave people comfort to have dolls reminding them of their children, how could he say no? Doing so would have made him a hypocrite, after he had given his wife the creature now sitting with its legs dangling off the shelf. Even so, he dreaded another one of his works would grow a tongue of flesh she did not place, and then do nothing with it but lie. Once upon a time, the doll shaped like his son began, there lived a warlock who studied children. He lured them into his gingerbread house and broke them into little pieces so he could see how they were made. When he pieced them back together, he never learned how to give them back the spark of life, and that is how dolls came to be. That's enough, said the doll maker. He reached for the box of nails on his desk and took one out, lifted down the doll with a little boy's smile and the fine clothes his wife had made. He pulled its mouth all the way open and yanked out its tongue, drove a nail through and spun it. When the tongue would twist no further, he set the nail sideways and closed the mouth around it. I'm going to bed now. If you speak during the night, I will throw you away. Guilt pricked him, even as he said that, and he knew the threat was empty. The dollmaker toyed with the thought of leaving the doll downstairs in the workshop, but when he stood, he cradled it in his arms and brought it into his bedroom where he set it by the foot of his bed before lying down. Once upon a time, the dollmaker dreamed, there lived a little boy who walked in the woods. He was small and the woods were great, and so every time he went, he got scared and cried for his father. Every time, his father came, and the weeping boy said a monster had touched his hand. His father told him there was no such thing as monsters, and that he should not come here if he was afraid. But the boy loved the woods, and so he went every day, and so he cried every day. Until one day, his father was sick of the boy's lies and did not help him. The crying went on for a time, and then it stopped. So suddenly the father's heart stopped with it. His heartbeat returned, but the boy never did. And that is why... The dollmaker awoke with a start. Pale sunlight filtered in through the curtains, making dust dance. He shoved aside the blanket, found his face streaming with sweat. Did you speak just then? He demanded, leaning, shaking hands on shaking knees. Well, did you? The doll said nothing, even though the doll maker knew it had removed and swallowed the nail. One of these days, said the doll maker, and lifted the replica of his son, I will cut out that tongue if you don't keep your mouth shut. The doll smiled vacuously at the threat, one more nail rattling in its belly as he carried it downstairs. The miller came by that afternoon. He opened the box and gave a wet groan at the mimicry of his daughter, pressing a fist to his mouth. You know, he said, when strength found its way back into his voice, 
I thought this would be a horrid idea, but she, it looks so much like her. It, it might just be what we need. I'm glad to hear that, said the doll maker, though it sounded false even to him. Tell me, did your talent help you and your wife after your son drowned? The doll maker winced. I don't much care for what came of it, though the doll was dear to her. Hmm. Perhaps you'll craft one to look like her, if you'll come to find the house lonely. I sincerely doubt that. Now, the miller winced. Forgive me, I shouldn't say things like that. It's the sorrow speaking, and I forget not everyone is as dreary as me. When the miller left the house on a hill, reached the path, and turned towards the town, the doll-maker fetched a flower from the kitchen. He went down after the miller, but instead of heading to town, turned towards an orchard at the base of the hill. He removed his hat and held it against his tightening chest as he approached the gravestone surrounded by apple trees. Hello, darling, he said, kneeling to set the flowers on the mound. It's one of these mornings. You started a trend. I should be grateful, but my purse isn't the sole thing that's heavy. He dusted the stone inside. I know I promised, but I can't stand the doll any longer. Would I be remiss to throw it out? He listened to the wind brushing trees, to the lap of waves on the lake shore. His wife hadn't spoken aloud in a long time, but in the wind was a memory of her singing. She'd known a different tune for every task, one for planting roses, one for digging weeds, one for picking apples, one to soothe the honeybees. Now the hives were empty, the patch overrun with daffodils, and around the doll maker were rotten apples he hadn't bothered to collect. And so... Even though his wife could not speak, he was reminded of all the other promises he'd failed to keep. The dollmaker returned to the house and set to working on the order of the mayor, who had finally given up on finding his nephew after weeks of searching. The dollmaker woke up on the sofa, eyes bleary and head aching. He had only meant to rest for a minute, but night had crept in during his nap. The doll sat in the armchair beside him, head lulled to the side, as soon as he sat up, rubbing his temples, it spoke. Once upon a time, the doll began, there was a corpse who wanted to be a boy again. When it told lies, its arms grew until it could reach up from the bottom of the lake where it had sunk. The doll maker froze, slowly facing the glass stair. Every day, a living boy came to the lake, and the corpse whispered it was safe to swim. Be quiet, the doll maker rasped. But then the corpse reached from the depths for the boy's hand. He was repulsed and cried for his father. Be quiet! The doll maker snapped, grabbing the doll and threw it at the wall. It fell askew, was silent a moment, then rolled over to face its maker. One day, the doll went on, as the maker ran for the box of nails in his workshop. His father didn't come, no matter how much the boy cried. There's nothing to fear, the corpse said over and over. Every time it did, its arms reached a little further until its fingers locked with the boy's. The doll maker rushed back, a nail in his hand. He found the doll sitting upright. Before he reached it, it said, And that is how I came to be. He pulled out the doll's tongue, drove the nail through it, and spun until it would turn no further. Even then, he twisted with all his strength in an attempt to pry the tongue loose. When he found the efforts fruitless, he set the nail sideways and closed the mouth around it. Then he carried the doll to his workshop. He set it on its back on the table and took out another nail and hammer. He placed the nail against the doll's chin and struck. 
The nail scraped along the face without so much as a groove. He tried to bind it with strings, but they slid away as though the doll was oiled. He tried screws, but they dug in no better than the nails. Even the glass eyes survived the blow without the slightest cracks. I'm throwing you away, he swore, and I'm never making another doll. Is that what you want? Then be quiet, and there will never be more. The doll smiled vacuously at the threat. The doll maker made to lift the miscreation, but when his hand touched its back, he was overwhelmed with a terrible sense of loss. He jumped back as though scorched, steeled his mind, and tried again. Though guilt no longer kept him from discarding it, he was physically unable to lift the doll, even though he had just carried it in. He had accepted the doll's behavior as a sign of his own insanity, but now questioned how far even madness could reach. He staggered away until he bumped against his chair and collapsed into it. Silence fell heavy on the room, as though a noise that belonged there was absent. He wondered if the doll was trying to speak, tongue slowly unfurling until it would swallow the nail. I'm throwing you away, he repeated with effortful defiance and was surprised by how quiet the words were. First thing tomorrow, the mayor gets his doll, but others will have to resort to markers or find some other way to grieve. The doll said nothing. The way it stared at the ceiling now seemed petulant, purposeful ignorance of its creator. The doll maker groaned at the notion. It had no capability for petulance, no matter how near to being alive it seemed. I'm a madman, he reminded himself. If I invited someone to lift it, they would do so without trouble. In fact, that is what I'll do. If I cannot do it myself after a good night's rest, I will ask the mayor's servant to dispose of it for me when he comes for the order. With these thoughts came release that allowed the doll maker to gain his feet. He was calm again, though the doll was still heavy. Fine, then, he said with a wave of his hand. If I can't lift you, I can't bring you upstairs. You can wait here until I get rid of you for all I care. When the third step up creaked under his weight, the clink of a nail against a pile of others petrified the doll maker's legs. Once upon a time came the voice of the doll, muffled by distance and a closed door. There lived a woman with a bright red cloak. It was a gift from an admirer, and she accepted it gratefully. Be quiet, the doll maker uttered, punching his leg to force feeling back into it. The woman was comely, but the man was not, and so he knew he needed to find a more substantial way to charm her than the beauty of his face. The man wove her the cloak, and she came to love it more than anything. You wicked liar! the dollmaker screamed. Be quiet! Do not speak of her! But the cloak was so fine the woman became curious of her lover's talent and followed him one night when he left his loom. She saw him skinning animals alive, hands red with the same hue as adorned her shoulders, saw him studying them and piecing them together for the most wondrous of cloaks. The woman kept the secret of her lover and stayed with him for the fear of what he might do if she told someone. What if they did not believe her? She would be wholly at his mercy. Then tragedy struck them. Racked with grief and horrid suspicion, the woman asked her lover to make her another cloak, even finer than the first. He obliged. His masterpiece resembled something precious, so much it fooled the woman into thinking her husband had taken her treasure and ripped it apart to turn it into a cloak, even though it was his first innocent work in years, a testament to the heights his talents had reached. The woman could not bear the secret any longer, and that is why no one sings in the house on a hill anymore.
Regaining control of his legs, the doll maker charged into his workshop. He threw open the door, bellowing with rage, and grabbed the hammer on the desk. The doll sat upright, eyes set forward, and the maker brought his hammer down. He swung in a frenzy, and the hammer finally bit, sinking into the doll's body, caving its head, sending the eyes rolling along the table until they, too, were smashed. Nails spilled from its eviscerated belly. The doll maker bashed and swung and maimed until nothing was left of the idol shaped after his son but pieces of painted wood and fabric and a tongue that had never had a right to speak. He gathered the pieces in a sack and picked up the tongue. He expected it to writhe in his grip, but it was as lifeless as the man-made body it had been part of. He burned the remains of the doll in a small pyre on the shore and cast the tongue into the lake. Ripples of schooling fish appeared where it sank. When the pyre died out and the ripples vanished, the dollmaker returned inside, fell into his bed, and wept. Once upon a time there lived a dollmaker who sought to excel in his craft. He studied his art until he was considered a master, but even masters yearned to improve their skill. What did artists do when they wanted to get better? Looked at the work of others, dissected them, deconstructed them. The dollmaker went further. He looked at those his own work imitated, dissected them, deconstructed them, until he was peerless. Everyone said his dolls were lifelike, but that was untrue. They were deathlike. For the doll makers studied the fragility of life to mimic it in static form. How many necks had his fingers crushed? How many eyes had he plucked? Not even the doll maker knew anymore. All he cared about was his art. And that is why the fish in the lake have grown fat. The doll maker snapped awake to the pounding of his heart, the voice of the doll echoing in his thoughts, refusing to recede before waking as dreams were meant to. He pressed his face into his hands and gave a great shudder. The doll maker rose to open the window. The breeze was too cold for comfort, but he braved it to suck in fresh air. He looked up to the moon for solace from the dark. Even as he did, it clouded over. Once upon a time, came a voice, hoarse and thin. There never lived a doll. The doll maker spun with fright, but could not locate the sound in their gloom. He scrambled for the door to find it locked from the outside and gave a startled cry when the window slammed shut. All it wanted was to tell stories so its maker would think of what he had done and confess his sins. You are not real! The dollmaker screamed, You're a figment of my madness! But all he did was call the doll a liar and put nails through its tongue. Warmth coursed down his leg when the dollmaker slumped against the door. The clouds dispersed, letting moonlight pour in. The doll sat by the foot of his bed, grinning with a mouth full of nails. Until one day, the doll croaked. Its arms were covered in blue, rotted flesh, face around the glass beads bloated, cheeks fish-nibbled open so he could see the contraption of nails within. The doll was tired of having nails thrust through its tongue and decided to put one through its maker's throat. Beside his ear, the doll maker heard a whisper, and that is why the doll maker never woke up.
that was Vil Marilinen's A Doll Full of Nails, as read by Stephen Kilpatrick. Stephen Kilpatrick is the former host of Tales to Terrify. He works supporting assistive technologies for special education students and is currently working towards a role in information assurance. Great to hear from you, Stephen. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now, Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Lessel Baxter, Paul Belcher, Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, and Orion D. Higra, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Podchaser, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating or review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs so you can show those around you just how twisted you truly are. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, Crystal Hammond, Spencer Desparty, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we seek to purge the creeping rot with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.